welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, your 40k competitive podcast that discusses tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me our good podcast host, Shailen Allen-West. Greetings. And our evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. Oh, what a wonderful day where in most of the country I have stolen time from you. Yes, yes, huh. you... You've stolen away one hour of our lives. How does it feel? I still needed a nap. <laughs> <laughs> those, those 300 million hours of rest that you got were not enough, huh? Well, there's a reason he's the bad host, Sean. That's true. That's very true. Uh... Oh. Yeah, daylight savings time. Not great. Don't know why we do it. I don't think anyone does. Tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Let's talk about something way more fun. Yeah. Speaking of a traditional, this is something that we had, we've brought up and talked a little bit about before, but I'm curious to see where you guys are at given this whole pandemic thing. Um, Tabletop simulator and other kind of... uh, virtual engines for playing Warhammer. Where do you where do you sit with those and where do you think they're going? The WTS, which is what replaced the ETC, was ran on Tabletop Simulator this year. Right. And I had the pleasure of playing on some of the boards and some of the systems they have. It's pretty sophisticated and slick. Out of curiosity, were you using a uh, like a desktop interface or virtual reality? I was using desktop for the one I did, though I will okay. try virtual reality later. I've got that system set up finally. Oh, okay. Um, so my my opinion is, I mean, it's like anything else. You have to learn how to make it work. But, I mean, it's still 40K at the end of the day, so it's not like the rules changed on me. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing that I learned was uh, that they built maps for missions for that tournament. Yeah, uh, the the WTS does things a little bit differently in that regard. Yeah, so I was sitting there, I was like, that's completely foreign to me. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because the person I was playing actually built the map we played on. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I got a lot of really cool feedback and, and talking and conversation there that was really fascinating. Um, lots of cool macros to make it better... I did play it in the past where it was a little more kludgy, but of course, since people have been putting effort into it, it's gotten more streamlined. Mm-hmm. It will get better, I suspect. Yeah. And then there was the hacking incident at Greek Hammer, too. Oh, God. Right. I don't think we need to go into that. That's a whole other can of worms. Uh... Short answer, person got caught, and they are no longer let at the tournament. Yeah. Uh, ben, what's what's your experience with kind of non tabletop Warhammer? Do you have you played that way much? What do you do? You have a feeling on it? Uh, I have TTS and I've tried using it a bit. Um, I was dinking around with it a lot more early pandemic, mm-hmm. um, thinking you know that okay, I'll stay practiced and in two months we'll get back to normal. Oh, um, <laughs> child of summer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. 
I haven't touched it lately. I've heard it's gotten a bit better. Um, it's in my circles. It's gotten a little bit more hype lately. Like more people are starting to do it, and I'm seeing it as a really good entry point for a lot of people. Um, that's mm-hmm. the thing I've been seeing is a lot of people that weren't playing Warhammer before are now because of where t- tabletop simulator and uh, other virtual um, effects go. Because people are like, oh hey, I still want to play Warhammer, or I'd like to try it out, and you have these people who have been playing it teaching people to play it on tabletop simulator. So I've I've seen it as a uh, as a as an entry uh, as a barrier of entry like lifter essentially lately um, among like my my social groups. Uh, people are still practicing on it. People are still doing tournaments on it. Um, my gripes were mostly I didn't enjoy six hour games. Um, yeah, and, uh, like the time some things can take. The it, it plays just fine. Like you still get the effect you want to. It's just things go a bit slower and I a lot of time don't have the attention span to sit at my desk um for one game for like six hours that is unfortunately the the biggest strike i've had against it and uh similar other programs is that they take significantly longer to do than a normal game of warhammer and a normal game of warhammer is an extended affair in the first place um yeah i joined part of a TTS uh, Escalation League group and basically everyone said, please play Elite Armies or you won't get your games done on time. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's some cool stuff. Like, I like the fact that you can, you know, like, pause a game state and do other weird things if you are, like, playing with someone and you have, like, a scheduled game of some sort. But that's, like, if if we can get around that, which I they've made a lot of cuts and advances on that particular, like, mod package... Mm-hmm. Uh, to get there, um, it'd be better. I haven't t- touched it since, but I just know early on that was my the part I tripped over. Yeah, uh, I I think they're still working on things to get the tools to the point where you can play a game in a more reasonable amount of time. Um, my game was three hours. Yeah, which is not bad. Um, although I think if you had been playing that physically rather than virtually, you could have probably finished in less than three hours. Uh, Definitely. Um, it was Grey Knights versus Imperial Knights. That game does not go slow. Yes. Um, so, you know, being, you know, 50% longer rather than 100% longer is certainly an improvement. Um, ideally, you are getting that down to zero percent longer or maybe even faster uh is the the real ideal but you know incremental progress yeah that was the other thing my opponent doesn't own the models they were playing with uh, sure. so that barrier entry thing is very real and very accessible for people i think that is one of the biggest things is your your ability it gives you the ability to experiment with lists you simply could not play otherwise um, mm-hmm. and, and that can be very useful and separates that whole, like, the, the issue of a player who is just starting the game and like, okay, first I'm going to need you to read this, these 600 pages of rules, and then I'm going to need you to spend 12 hours assembling models. And you're going to have to do all that before you can even think about playing a game. Oof. It's, it. It's a it's a bit of a double whammy, unfortunately, uh, and Tabletop Simulator can help remove some of that. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and talk about slightly more real games. <laughs> I know a lot of people haven't been getting a ton of 
practice or tournament games in recently. Uh, but really, that just means that you want to learn everything you can from the games that you are getting. You know, if you only play one game a month, you'd better get every drop of value out of that one game. And one of the best ways to do that is through taking notes and making sure you record your game. Mm -hmm. So this time we're going to be talking about some good practices for doing that, um, both in a conceptual level as well as the actual methods for doing so. Uh, this is a little bit of an unusual subject for the way we discuss things, um, because I know that both uh, Ben and Shaylin do this, but this is not something I actually do all that much, so it's a little odd for me to be talking about it. You do this, this spoiler alert, the second half of the episode is going to be a lot of the meat of what we're observing and the kind of important observational habits, which Sean does have plenty of breadth of. Right, the note-taking. Uh, and that's not to say I, I don't ever do any of this. I have uh, taken lots of pictures of things, um, but the way my memory works and the way I sort of conceptualize a lot of these games, I, I don't find the same kinds of note-taking useful that uh, the other co-hosts have. Um, and I think that's... The thing I want to lead this episode with is everyone is going to have a different way to approach this, and the ways we talk about here may not be what are useful to you, but they may be, and that's why we want to talk about them. Yes. Well, that's kind of the beauty of it, is the is everybody has their own way of doing it, and at the end of the day, we, we all process this information one way or another. Mental notes are still mm -hmm. notes. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, still, you still record, you still take down, you still learn. Like, no one, not many people are really like approaching a 40k table and completely forgetting about the game they just had and the experience they just did. <laughs> Hopefully uh, <not. laughs> yeah, there, there's, there, there's, a, there's a learning process and uh, some people, just like in school, some people take notes, some people don't. Um, your right. success rate doing either may vary. It may not present much to you or you may find that like, that later like hey maybe if i did start recording this one thing this might help play this a bit better like you you don't need to record everything you don't need to be a massive note taker like some um mm -hmm. you could just do small things here or there but at the end of the day a lot of people do this differently in very different ways and like what they record and why they record is 100 percent different from person to person yeah yeah uh so we're going to talk a lot about various different kinds of strategies uh Find the one that works for you um, and and figure out what is most helpful to you for processing what happens during a game. So let's talk first about why you would take notes, because like Ben just said, like no one forgets everything that happened during a game. Like you, you hopefully remember what occurred in your game of Warhammer. So wh why do you need to take notes? What's even the point? The main argument for notes is your memory has bias. Mm -hmm. And notes, if they're done correctly, are reality. So it's like, this is what actually happened. And you can look back also back at it later, like months later, even years later, and go, huh. You know, because you may not be able to remember something that's two years old so well. Right. Uh, it, it gives you both a double check on your perception of the game versus what may have occurred. Um, 
and the ability to reach back to it, especially if you are progressing in your your skill, which hopefully you are, um, it, it may be useful to you to be able to look back at what you did a year ago or two years ago and say, oh, I've come a long way since then. I really like the uh, the the memory bias versus reality, particularly with like videos or streams. Um, yes, this is this is really the part where you can actually get like other feedback from like really skilled players and go, "Hey, do you see anything I did wrong at this table?" And you'll have like suddenly three people that, that saw something you didn't, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh." Um, so that's that's a that's a hard one to learn sometimes, especially when you screw up on like a live stream or something. But yeah, it, it definitely pays off as far as what you learn. Well, also another thing that I've been using it for is thinking ahead, because Ninth Edition is all about playing a turn or two ahead. So a lot of what I can do with the notes is go, well, I thought they were going to do this, so what what did they see that I didn't? Mm-hmm. Let's you retroactively predict uh, after a fashion. Yeah, and 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 look at the how you th- thought things were going to go versus how they actually went. Yes. Uh, the other thing is, if you're observing an outside game, which we'll talk about later in the episode, you can predict, because you've never seen that game before, hmm, is Nick Nadavati going to move his unit here? And yes. you'll either be right or wrong. Yeah, uh, and that can be a very useful tool as well. Uh, recording someone else's game, i.e. watching a live stream or, or what have you, uh, can be a very good tool as well. Yeah, skilled observation is actually part of what can develop a player like if you Mm -hmm. can accurately predict um what people are going to do before they do it in a stream you you're going to do that in live games too like that's that makes you much better at the game um and you can you can kind of have that through through your own note taking or you can do it uh through others like you can observe how other people kind of like armchair quarterback uh, a 40k game um Mm -hmm. and you can kind of go back and forth in that yeah So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the actual practice of note-taking, how you go about that during a game, and and what are some rules of thumb you use to govern the way you do that? For me personally, the the types of notes I take depends on whether or not I'm on a chess clock, because if I have time, Mm -hmm. I will sit down, actually take photos, properly record notes and really write a lot of things down or at least burn them into my brain a little firmer but if i've got a chess clock going i don't have time to do that i'm not a fast writer Mm -hmm. so i will use a very different set of note-taking practices if i'm on a chess clock and one of my personal favorites is i just have a video camera recording so i can look at it later (laughs) right i honestly i feel that one of the most useful notes you can take and we're gonna we're gonna air quote notes there a little bit uh is just to take photos of the battlefield or of focus points on the battlefield yes because the the physical placement of the models and stuff like that is something that is not subject to bias um the models are where they are um and where the models are is one of the most important things. You know, if you're not in an objective, what are you doing? It's ninth edition. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that anyone can look at and say, why were you over there? Yeah. And you can explain why you moved where you did. And they, you can talk about your plan and all that sort of thing and your dice and your shooting, and et cetera. But uh, the physical placement of the model themselves is one of the most critical things. And you can record that with certainty by either video or simply just photographing uh, the battlefield. And it's also very fast to do that. 
Um, so I think that's one of the premier ways. So sometimes um, my personal uh, note-taking method is I kind of have like a spark note, uh, like mark uh, mm-hmm. situation where um, anything that sticks out as important um, is what's going to get written down. I don't really mm-hmm. write down too many decision-making processes. I mostly write down like a what other psych- what psychic spells do they have, what do they use, what failed. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the type of thing. And I kind of do it in like a very shorthand where like I write down what spells and I put little check marks and columns. Kind of like recording sure. uh, objectives. Um, with with that being said, like that's one of the number one reasons why I like to take notes uh, is keeping the game one hundred percent honest between both sides. Um, if you ever call a judge mm-hmm. and you have well written down what has happened, um, there's not an, an easy argument for your opponent if they didn't take notes. <laughs> yes, uh, it provides a, a double check for you. I like to write down the things that like really keep the the game honest and flowing and also at the same time like are important for me to know what exactly happened and like oh they failed all their spells that turn and i collapsed on them okay that mm-hmm. that's here's why the you know this win happened um is yeah. the type of thing i like to record yeah uh it's especially under the chess clock time is obviously an issue you're going to need to make your notes short because you're, you don't have time to write a novel. Even if you have all the time in the world because it's a practice game, you still don't want to sit there for 20 minutes writing down what you think while your opponent stands around and does nothing. That's just kind of not very Rude. polite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're going to need to make this relatively quick. Um, use the, the your written notes to supplement the photos or to help note down things that may be relevant and important later, you know, failed my charge from here, or, you know, passed these three psychic spells and got off the big smite, uh, or whatever it is that that will help you remember what the flow of the game was later, uh, in order to analyze what happened and why. Yes, um, quick stretch and three-letter acronyms, the TLAs, are totally acceptable here, as -hmm. long as you know what they mean. Yes. Um, This is one of the reasons that notes are often very personal. It it can be difficult to share your notes with someone else, uh, because they don't have the context that you do for understanding what those notes are. But that said, watching video battle reports and whatnot is essentially a form of note-taking, and as we mentioned before, can be very valuable to developing your skills as a player, because if you can watch a game and understand what's happening and see what the players are doing and make your own predictions about, well, I think he's going to move his Terminators over there because that's what I would do. And if he does move his Terminators over there and he wins the game, well, that's a good sign that you understand what was happening there and that you're getting better. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that uh, you can do is post-game reports, where basically you you take mental notes during the game, and then you actually write it down while it's super, super fresh in your mind. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It might be the best op for you because no notes are better than no notes. Um, sure. By, or at least having a game discussion there because that's still really valuable information. You might get your opponent's insight um, because they're present too when they have views and they may say things you didn't. Yeah. Um, we We've obviously talked about speaking with your opponent after the game before, uh, but we will reiterate that here as 
after you have gone through and taken your photos and, and discussed everything, absolutely ask your opponent what they thought about the game and write that down as well. Um, you know, just again, this can be some just very short kind of jotting stuff down, but uh, getting another outside perspective is going to help you understand what occurred during that game and why they did what they did. Yes. Also, don't be afraid to use and try some technology. Um, one of my personal favorites was the Remarkable Tablet. It's basically like a Kindle you can write on, and then you mm -hmm. can email the notes to yourself and stuff, so they're like already mm -hmm. digital for you. Um, yeah. And then there's like tablets, smartphones, paper, like even the freaking tournament packet with the score sheet. Everything is valid. <laughs> I know that some people will actually take notes on the tournament score sheet, uh, sort of writing down turn by turn, you know, like, turn four, 13 points, did this and that, this failed, got a charge on here, um, in order to sort of provide a turn by turn to, to help supplement their memory of exactly what was occurring there. That's exactly what I do for the most part. Yeah. Um, is, uh, is if I have a pen, paper, and that, I like that. Um, as far as technology, I have used the ITC, uh, well, the, um, the, the the score recording app, and I've yeah. used that because that has a note section, um, particularly for like things that like got me or were, like really weird. It's like, oh, that that's that's a stratagem I didn't know existed. I'm going to mm -hmm. write that down really quick so I don't get hit by that. Um, I like a combination of things. Uh, I like to have a video and my own little notes. Uh, sure. The best thing about a video is that due to the fast forward feature, you can watch your game get played in about 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> And you might see things you didn't see before and all that other fun stuff. Uh, videos are the silent note taker at the end of the day, uh, which is yeah. why I really like them. Because other than setting it up before the game, um, you don't need to do anything active other than play the game. Yeah. Which is why I prefer them myself. <laughs> it, it is one of the best, but it also is one of the ones that takes the most kind of... Um, work outside of the game itself. You know, you have to have an appropriately good camera you have to be able to set it up in a spot that is not getting in the way of other people who are in the area uh, yeah there's there's a lot of prerequisites there that can be something of a hassle um the lesser version of that is just smartphone recording um either taking a quick video in between turns which is something i have done a lot or you know snapping a photo at the beginning of yours and your opponent's turn uh both of those will give you a, a, a good kind of quick snapshot of what is occurring on the battlefield. Um, and especially if you are more rushed for time, that 10 or 20 seconds you take to uh, just make a quick recording of things is often worthwhile overall. Uh, you're probably not going to eat your entire chess clock just taking those two photos. Yeah, yeah you got like 20 photos that matter, uh, uh -huh. in my opinion, with that. You have your, you know, you have your beginning of the turn, end of turn for each player, and then five mm -hmm. turns, so yeah. 20 photos. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and also, if you are electing to record, make sure you get your opponent's consent. That's like the ultimate not being a jerk move. Yeah. Because some people don't aren't really comfortable with that, and it's like, uh, well, in that case, my notes aren't as important as making my opponent really upset. <laughs> sure. And, you know, you're recording the battlefield, not your opponent. Very few people will have a problem with you filming the models on the table, uh, but it is polite to ask, you know, make make sure you they are okay with that. Uh, 
in my experience, very rarely is anyone going to refuse. Mm-hmm. The big thing about notes um, is that they both help you during the game uh, with, you know, particular turn-to-turn action sometimes. Sure. Uh, as well as they do after the game. And after the game is where I actually do the most processing. Uh, I make an after-action report um, of what happens. And, you know, the notes I took may not have been valuable to me at the time. Like, the information I wrote down mm-hmm. may not actually mean anything to me during the particular game. But... When I'm looking back on it and going, hey, what did I? What could I have done differently? Why did I lose or why did I win? Um, you can take down notes as a winner. You don't need to take it down as a loser. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's all about processing that information into a usable form versus just a bunch of gobbledygook on a piece of paper. Right. Uh, let's get into that a little bit more. But first, let's just take ourselves a quick refreshments break. And then we will come back and talk about the process of analysis of your notes, because taking notes is great, but until you turn them into something meaningful, they're just chicken scratch on paper. All right, we are back. So, you have done all of the things that we've asked, Uh, you've recorded your game and taken photos and written everything down, and now you have a whole big mess of information. What do you do with that? Where do you guys start? What is is the first sort of step in your process of uh, turning your, your notes on a game into something that you can analyze? So, going back to our lovely little solutions and problems analysis, I look back at the game in context of, well, these were the problems I identified. Did I correctly identify all the problems? Sure. And how well did I solve those problems? And basically, those notes will tell me how good or bad I was at it. Yeah, um, you can absolutely look at a game in that sort of problem-solution space, uh, and say, like, okay, I thought that I needed to do this, this, and this. Was that what I needed to do, and did I do those things? The other way I would look at it is kind of like how my husband does, because he's a big overthinker, is, like, second-guess everything that happened. Like, mm-hmm. like, get down to the meat of it. How did this happen? Right. And even if it was a good thing for you, you need to know what made that occur. Mm-hmm. I like to look at the uh, the highlight reel, as I call it, the the major turns in the game, the major triumphs, the major failures. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, these these revolve around particular the the game turning actions, where like some things, for the most part, the game plays as you expect it to. It's like, yep, this shooting unit killed this, and then this happened over here, and it's a it's a lot of static, uh, in my personal opinion, as far as my own note taking, which is probably a reason, Sean, you don't take notes because a lot of the game plays as you'd expect it to play. Yeah, um, and the things that are important, you just you know bother to take a mental note of. Uh, and this is a part where it gets really boring. Um, but there's also some things I'd like to write down. Like I just learned that X unit from this codex is freaking stupid. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what you're trying to do with this is you, you've taken everything that happened in the game and put it into a big sifting pan, and you're trying to sieve out the three or four things you can learn from the game. 
uh, just three or distill it down to a handful of important observations. And that's the hard part, and that's why you need notes, because those may not have been things that were obvious at the time or from your experiences during the game. Yes. So you, you are sort of trying to sift through all of this data you have and find the, the handful of important things. Um, as Ben mentioned, the, the highlight reel can be very good here um, mm -hmm. because it's, it's very easy to look at that and say, oh, this is where I had to start def playing defensively. Uh, you know, it was it was the bottom of turn three where things changed for me. And then you can look. What changed at the bottom of turn three? Why did you have to start doing that? And what led up to that? Yes. Like, oh, I gave my opponent a bunch, an opportunity to seize tempo and they took it. Crap. Right. No wonder I was on the back burner the whole game. So let's focus a little bit on, like, finding what those focal points are. Uh, because if you can find those, then you're already doing good. So how do you find those? Um, what what points of the battle are most likely to be important enough that you want to take notes on them? Objectives. Um, yes. If you're not on objectives, you're not scoring. So activity in and around objectives, like I'm talking kind of a 12-inch aura around the center point because those are units ready to jump in or units threatening. That's all super important. Like mm -hmm. look at that space and look at what units have like, for example, if there's a lot of shooting there, you're like, oh, man, I'm going to go on that objective and die. Right. Uh, you, I think focusing strongly on where objectives are and where they change hands is very important. Uh, because flipping objectives, as we talked about in a previous episode, is absolutely enormous. And if, if you are seeing a lot of, I took this objective, I lost this objective, they took this objective, they lost this objective, that's where important things are happening during the game. Mm. Uh, it's obviously not the only thing that is important, but it is a critical part of winning games in 9th edition. So knowing what units moved onto objectives, what units had objectives taken from them, who took those objectives, and how they did it, can be extremely critical. Yes. Yeah, I also like to record what exactly um, my opponent put in reserves and how it was used, uh, kind of like a yes. predictive type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I like when I look at someone's list, I'm always like, okay, what goes in reserves, what doesn't? You know, it's my, yeah. it's one of the first things I wonder about, um, especially like really successful lists or or lists that I haven't really like analyzed in the meta myself or don't have an expectation of what they're going to do with it. It's it's kind of crucial, and I write it down for later mm -hmm. uh, just so I know how that unit is played. Like, it's like, uh, that's a Hellion Bomb. That's weird. I don't know how that's played, and you try and take your best guess at it, but, you know, writing down how the actual pilot did it is important. Yeah. Yes. Um, understanding those units' roles. If there's a unit that you don't see exactly what it's doing, you should be taking notes on what your opponent did with it. And kind of by the same token, um, if you are finding that some of your units, you maybe feel they aren't performing, or maybe that they're overperforming, or whatever it is, take some notes on what those units do over the course of a game. Mm -hmm. um, when I say what they do, I'm not just talking about what they destroy. Obviously, that's important. Uh, but if you have a unit that spends 
four turns moving to four different objectives and putting up flags, you may feel like at the end of the game, this unit didn't really do anything. But what that unit actually did was scored you 12 points on a secondary, which is something. Yeah. Um, another thing to consider is uh, backfield units. These are units that are not actively engaging around objectives on purpose. What are they up to? Like, yes. what kind of units are they? You know, what's that unit trying to do with it? And it's like, that can be really good information there, too. Because it's like, oh, that unit is there to keep me from deep striking and doing a backwards flank and causing a mass problem. It has to sit there all game. Understanding what your passive units do is just as important as understanding what your active units do. Uh, and the ways that a unit influences the game, even if they don't do anything, can be very important. So you can look at that block of Terminators that was holding the center of the table and say, they never charged anything, but the reason they never charged anything is no one was ever willing to get within 12 inches of them. Um, and that is also doing something. Yes. Yeah, I like to... Anything that pops out that is uh, is definitely like a weird or a strange thing, since we have so many codexes and so many different sets of rules, sometimes you run into stuff that nobody else is using or that's not meta or this or that, but still like definitely caught you off guard um i'd just like to write that down like what relic did that why how did it affect me uh stuff like that like yeah. that's that's those are those are the easy bits but sometimes the bits that can be forgotten um and you might someday take it back later and you might end up playing it yourself who knows um stratagems and psychic powers are also a good thing to pay attention to it's like why did they pick that power what mm -hmm. is that oh that's what that was for yeah, I. anytime your opponent is using something you're not familiar with, that you don't see consistently from other armies of their type, that's something you can zero in on. Uh, because they have a reason why they chose that. And you may disagree with them, and you may even be right. Um, you, you, can, you can look at that and say, like, oh, you know, I don't think that unit is efficient as some of the other choices. But they still chose it for a reason, and understanding that reason may help you understand why other people are using the, the units they are, or perhaps why that unit will become relevant in the future. Uh, getting additional understanding of the game is never bad, and anything unique is going to be a good way to get some of that. So if they field a relic that you don't know about, or they use a stratagem that you don't see very often, talk to them about it after the game. Yeah, I'm particularly guilty of over-usage over of CP, and I like to write down where I used my CP and where I probably could have saved it. Um, like, I'm the type of person who... Maybe I didn't need to shoot again there, and that all that did was gain me a, a group of scouts. Um, yeah, type of deal. Like I, I definitely, as far as where I'm weak sometimes, is just spending too much CP, and that note taking has helped me kind of cut that down a bit as far as where I make errors. Speaking of CP, in the game I last played, my opponent was complimenting me on my CP usage, and inquired mm -hmm. on some of the techniques I was using there. And that was part of an after-game conversation highlight, which you should still take notes on. Yeah. Because your opponent is there, and they have a different perspective, and might have some really cool things you just missed to say. 
Yeah, uh, we we mentioned this in the first half of the show as well, but we'll reiterate it here. Uh, talk to your opponent and then take notes on what they told you about the game. Uh, whether you agree with those thoughts or not, even if you are like, no, you are categorically wrong about that, still write down what they said um, because that tells you what they were thinking and why they responded to your list in the way they did. And it may be that they're right, but even if they're not, their thoughts and reasoning are important for understanding what happened during the games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me and my after action reports, these have a huge influence on, on what I write down and what, how, how I kind of process that game, especially if I lost, but also if I won. Like, I have come into a lot of games where I won and my opponent was like, I was not expecting X, or not, or you played this 100% differently than I expected, and here's where I lost. And, like, mm -hmm. that's really important information for me to put down with the rest of my notes of just like, oh, my opponent made this miscalculation in turn three. Yeah. I didn't realize they made this, this conscious decision. Um, I just, you know, thought I did better. But it turns out you can kind of get a more complete picture of the game when you have the other side's story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so it's kind of putting together two stories is, you know, one of my favorite parts, especially if it's a very skilled player. Like, yeah. I very much appreciate if I finish a game, you know, with a top 100 player uh, and we'll just, you know, finish two, the game in two hours and we might just spend the next hour discussing our game. Yeah. Um, yes. That's one of my favorite parts. And and if they're okay with it, like recording that discussion can be very valuable. If they don't want to be recorded, that's fine. Uh, but absolutely take some notes on that and and kind of have that discussion with them and write down what you learn from that and what you're thinking there. Uh, because especially, as Ben said, when you're playing a very good player, you really want to understand what they were thinking because it may not be the same as what you were thinking. And win or lose, that's extremely valuable because there's not just one right way to play the game. Um, no. there's, there's hundreds of different right ways to play the game. And you want to have access to as many of those as possible. Yes. So let's go ahead and talk about something that is technically not part of our discussion here, but is so relevant to it that I think we, we need to discuss it in this same section here, and that's watching streamed matches. Yes. This is essentially taking notes on someone else's game. Um, that's sort of the, the process you have going here. You're going to want to do the same sorts of things you would do in your own game take the time to okay here's where these units would go here's what they'll probably do here's how i would handle this here's what i'm expecting each of those players to do uh stream games can be very valuable they are fairly time consuming in most cases because you have to sit down for three hours and watch a game but this is where, as Ben mentioned before, the fast-forward function will come in handy if you're not watching them live. Uh, and if you are watching them live, then you have the benefit of being able to discuss things with the other players on the stream and possibly whoever is commenting on the stream um, to help understand what's going on and, and have a discussion about the choices being made. Yes. Um, one of the things I always look for is 
when they're using a unit in a way I was either not expecting or I would not feel is standard, um, I try to figure out why. Uh, because sometimes mm -hmm. it's like, oh, they're doing a sacrificial play with that unit to buy themselves some tempo, so this other unit's just going to come in and hammer. Okay, I see that. Right. You, really what you're doing is is trying to guess what two different opponents are doing at the same time. Here's what I think he's going to do, and then that's what I think the other player is going to do in response, which means that he will do this, which means they will do that. Uh, you're trying to play out that that double game in your head, and unlike a normal game, you can dedicate all of your headspace to actually like making those predictions because you don't have to do anything yourself. Yes. Um, another couple things, like we've talked about attacker and defender and tempo on this podcast multiple times in the past. Mm -hmm. Try to assess, like, who's the attacker, who's the defender, who, who's who got the tempo control, who's trying to fight it back, right? Yeah. Who's on the back foot? Yes. You, you should be looking to understand all of the things that you would be looking for in your game is like the list analysis, understanding the tempo of the game, understanding who's scoring how much and why. Uh, but you're doing those from an outside perspective, which means you can't have a bit more objectivity than normal. Um, but you still have to look at those things and kind of make those choices. A lot of times during a, a match like this, one of the things I'm trying to do is make those predictions and try to recognize where the mistakes are. When someone does something and you can say, I don't think that was the right call. Whether or not you are correct, that gives you a point where you you have made a definite prediction and made a call of your own, where you have this moment of, okay, he moved that unit forward on turn three. I think that was a turn too early or a turn too late. Yeah, I find watching streams to be like the best time to actually be an armchair quarterback because mm -hmm. you actually, in this scenario, could be the quarterback. Yeah. Right. Um, where, where a lot of other sports and such, it's like, okay, you're, you're kind of talking out of your league. Uh, this is the best time to actually do that um, mm -hmm. and figure out, you know, just exactly how your predicted path would go and what their path would be. Um, it really gives you a lot of insight uh, into the 100 other ways to play 40k correctly. Uh -huh. uh, and it may open up your game plans for your army too. Yeah, and especially if you are part of like a live stream or something, it gives you the opportunity to discuss with other players who are also interested in the game and looking to better themselves and may have different ideas than you to discuss all of this in real time and make your predictions and point out things that happen. Um, because if you have six or 10 or 50, depending on the size of the stream, yeah. uh, other people there, you can say, I bet he's going to move those scouts forward to take that objective. And then someone else will say, no, he won't do that because that puts them in charge range of the dreadnought. Uh, or they might say, well, okay, that might be a good idea, but does that leave him out of position for scoring the other objective over on the other flank? Or what have you. Um, yeah. You're allowing you to interact with other players in analyzing the game. Uh, and doing so in real time so that you can see whether or not you are correct and whether or not the player on stream, because usually when someone is 
playing a game on stream like this, they are a very good player. So this is allowing you to kind of measure up to whoever this uh, high-level player is. And that idea of analysis, Sean, is super critical because analysis lets you see the good and the bad mm -hmm. and the kind of mediocre. And you can get a really strong sense there of where you need to improve and where they mm -hmm. need to improve and kind of... If you know what went wrong and how it went wrong, it's going to teach you how to avoid being in that position. Absolutely. Uh, stream games are also very good for learning to understand armies that you may not be familiar with. Um, because you can't play every army. There's just not time. Um, but you can watch every army and getting to see them in action may teach you a lot about having to play against or with that army in the future. It might be a case where you can say, oh, I really like how that army plays. I might try it out. Or it might be a chance for you to say, I don't think I can handle what that army does. I need to change what I'm playing. Yeah. I think stream games also kind of show me that even gods can bleed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's it's the the humbling moments of when someone forgets uh, a small rule or makes you know a mistake that you wouldn't have made yourself, um, kind of humanizes people that like you might be intimidated by, especially if you're an up and coming player or whichever. Mm -hmm. um, it, it it gives you that like okay these guys are human too, um, and humans make mistakes. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's definitely a good chance to see like oh, I know he did that rule wrong. And and you can take some pride in that. But don't go too overboard and, you know, backseat driver this whole thing of like, oh, I would have won that game because Nick Nanavati screwed that rule up. It's like, well, Nick was probably thinking about a lot of things at the time. And he very well may have gotten that rule wrong. Uh, but the, the processing load when you are playing a game as opposed to watching a game is very different, and it is important to understand that. Yeah! So, I guess uh, one interesting question, do either of you take notes on streamed games? Um, I do. Would, would you take notes in the same way on that as you do? Okay. Um, it, is it the same sort of note-taking you use for your own games, or do you have a different process? I have a completely different process, actually. Oh, can you talk a little bit about it? Sure. So if I'm watching a stream game, I'm at a computer, which means I can type. And I am a very fast no. typist, so I can write an sure. egregious amount of notes that way. Okay. And I can put pause it, put timestamps in. Yep. I almost overdo the notes when I watch a streamed game in that regard, because I can put in almost infinite notes that I want in there. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm watching it live, I obviously can't pause it, but... Uh, right. A lot of what I do is I play the game of I want to. I'm trying to play a turn ahead. Like what's happening next turn? What are they building for next turn or the next turn mm -hmm. after that? So that's usually what I'm doing is I'm playing that exercise because Ninth Edition is all about that thinking ahead, and I'm working on improving that for myself. So that's how I take my notes is to study that. Okay, uh, Ben, how about you? How do you interact with stream games in that regard? Well, since most of my notes are like really quick spark notey things, they're more just like 
keeping game information in front of me more of like a hud of you know oh, okay you know, what what spells did it take or whichever uh-huh. it, it mostly stays the same um there are some things i'll know to like reference uh mm-hmm. I'll, I'll like i'll write down turn three and i'll put like a little star there and be like okay hey, I, I need to go back and watch what happened here mm-hmm. um and that's kind of where i go with that the the thing i like about stream games the most is actually other people's feedback on top of my opponents um i yeah. find i learn from that uh more than i learn from myself uh just because you know there's so many different perspectives and while not all insight is good insight um you can definitely filter and sieve through uh everyone's insight and figure out exactly where you can draw from it yeah uh i think that's actually a very useful point if you're interacting with other people and talking about the after action report, um, be it on a stream game or on a a player you were talking about that you just beat after the game or whatnot, um, you do want to take their perspective. Mm-hmm. That perspective may be wrong, but that doesn't mean it isn't valuable. Because if you believe their perspective is wrong, ask yourself why. What is it they have, what mistake have they made in analyzing here? Uh And how did that affect the way they approach the game? Or alternatively, how does that contrast with the choices I would have made and the the way I would have analyzed the game? Um, Because if you you look at their thing and they say, oh, I needed to be more aggressive, and you're like, no, that wasn't your problem, if you can understand why they would have made that, why they had that thought, why they would have made that choice, why they believed that, you can understand what it is they were trying to do and what their goals during the game were in a better way. Um, So them being wrong may or may not be true but it's valuable either way yeah anything that defines the context like oh they were seeing this stuff but they didn't understand this other stuff as well so it's like okay Mm -hmm. yeah they focused on what they knew and that explains the mistakes right so now you know about the logical fallacy yourself to avoid it yeah Oh, I suppose there is one last thing we should throw in here. Hmm. Um, You will sometimes get bad dice during a game. Yeah. And it's okay to write down, you know, some of that, like, ah, I rolled six ones again. But as we've said many other times, focusing on bad dice is not going to be helpful in your analysis of a game. So you may note down, I failed all my psychic powers this turn. That's not an excuse for why you lost the game. It may be part of the reason for why you lost the game. But if you if you write that down in your notes, write that down in the context of how should this have affected my decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something that can happen. I was aware of that. Did I react appropriately to the failure of my dice? Because one of the things you will absolutely see, especially if you watch their stream games, good players also have bad dice rolls, but they don't let that stop them from winning. Yeah. They react to the way the dice are happening on the table, and they make use of the resources that they have that don't rely on dice as well as mitigating the potential problems of dice. 
making sure that they have rerolls available, making sure they have redundant units available, etc. Yep. So in your note taking, it is absolutely fine to note down had really bad dice rolls this turn. But your takeaway from that should never be, and that's why I lost and there was nothing I could have done. It should be, I should have chosen to do things differently as a result of those dice rolls. Yes. Yeah. To to humbly admit that I've definitely just, like, kind of completely crossed out the notes of a game when the super shock attack gun, like, rolled nuts twice. I was like, yep, mm-hmm. that that happened. Um, I don't really need to write anything else down. Right. I, uh, yeah. I, I got so lucky it didn't matter what my opponent did. That's a thing that can happen, and it's important to recognize when you have good luck as well. Yeah. Um, you really want to do have some humility there and say, like, I just couldn't fail a four-up save. Um, you know, I, I took 30 wounds and lost one guy. Um... So definitely recognize there, like, this may not be a good example of what my army does and how it functions. You need you need to recognize that on both halves of things, of like... This is a three sigma data point. That's the statistics term. Right. <laughs> Treat it as such. Be aware of the outliers and be willing to recognize when your victory may not have been your incredibly cunning strategies. Yeah, I was playing like garbage, but my opponent was rolling like garbage, and I won because of that. Yes. So, uh, hopefully this has been useful in taking notes. Maybe you took a few notes of your own over the course of this episode. If so, congratulations, you get double reward points for this one as you practice what we were telling you about. Uh, But if you want to talk to us maybe a little bit more in depth about how to take notes or why your notes are not useful or maybe you have something that you do that we didn't mention here uh, and you think it deserves a a little bit of discussion Uh, you can email us in in the finest hour at gmail.com or you can contact us through facebook where we are also in the finest hour And if you want to have something more extended or you'd like to help support the show and you appreciate what we do here, you can support us on Patreon, where we are also in the finest hour. And for $5 a month, you can get access to our private Facebook group as well as the Discord server where we all talk about our bizarre game experiences and post our newly painted and built models and all the lists we're thinking about and that sort of thing. So thank you very much to everyone who is on Patreon and helps support us. We really appreciate what you do, and we would have neither the equipment nor the servers to do any of this if it weren't for all of you. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for being our awesome epic artist. You can find him on DeviantArt, Instagram, Facebook, Google searches, whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. And I'd also like to thank Dank Muse for the wonderful intro and intermission music that they have provided to us. You can find them on YouTube, uh, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Excellent. Well, next week we are going to be talking about an interesting subject and one that I think our, our hosts have a couple spicy opinions about. Uh, Imperial Knights and how they're doing in 9th edition. And we're going to try and bring in a guest host as well, a 
Las Vegas celebrity, courtesy of Ben here. Actually, yeah. Uh, I actually just during this uh, this uh, cast got his response. Um, he took first this past season in both Chaos Knights and Imperial Knights. Both of them. That is fairly impressive. The only player to ever do it, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have that to look forward to next week. I think it'll be a, a real interesting episode. But until then, for the finest hour, I've been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen West. Ben Jury. Thanks for listening. Thank you.